Welcome to the four weeks of Halloween. Week three, witches. I'm Jamie Gower. And I'm Maury Eckstein Gower. Old Mother Goose, when she wanted to wander, would ride through the air on a very fine gander. There was an old woman tossed in a blanket seventeen times as high as the moon, but where she was going no mortal could tell, for under her arm she carried a broom. Old woman, old woman, old woman, said I, whither, ah, whither, ah, whither so high to sweep the cobwebs from the sky, and I'll be with you by and by. So, witches... Um, this is actually not an alternate, but a, um, I was advised that we wouldn't be doing the topic I had originally planned for this one. Mari saw the movie I was going to recommend, turned to me and said, no. And, uh, so we came up for it with another, uh, topic. And I think actually we, we struck gold on this one because, uh, witches are fascinating because they, they seem to reflect the times, almost more than any other uh, conventional Halloween trope. Oh, definitely, definitely. And it, it's a subject I've been interested in for a long time because you look at it historically and uh, the, how, how the idea of witches has changed so much over the years. And, and I think, uh, you know, you go back to things like Baba Yaga in, in Russian folk tales, and, and even the uh, Mother Goose that, that I read, that's a, a piece from, at least the version I was reading, was from the 1800s. And you have Shakespeare's uh, Macbeth, mm -hmm. the three witches who, in a sense, are taking on the role of the three fates in, in the whole uh, Greek and, and Roman mythology uh, pantheon. So there, there's a, a whole lot of ways that people are looking at what witches are, you know, from everywhere from uh, women healers to these just evil beings that, that are going to... Uh, curse your cows and, and make famine and, and dire weather patterns happen and, and what have you. I think one of the things that we culturally in America think of the most is uh, the Salem witch trials. And we see it now, you know, it's a, it's a very dark period in America history. Uh, but it certainly was happening in Europe at the same time that there were just, they, they estimate that there were... Um, you know, over three million women during the different um, in inquisitions and, and witch trials in Europe that were killed uh, versus a, a relatively small number in, in America at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it seemed to be a Puritan uh, phenomena. And, and if you look at that group of people, they weren't really... Um, settled in America for that long, mm -hmm. that they they came in, uh, you know, 1629 is when, when the whole Puritan group set sail and, and settled in Massachusetts. And then it was in uh, 1692 that the Salem witch trials happened. So they were really only in America, you know, almost about 50, 60 years. 
And so it was a new settlement, and uh, there were a lot of things that were happening to them. There was the English-Indian uh, War, and and a lot of people had experienced really horrific things in, in some of the fighting, the, the torture and the things that, that happened. So there, I think there was a kind of a traumatized mentality for the people mm. that... that uh, isn't always um, put forth when you, when you think about what was happening and also how they viewed things like hurricanes and and different uh, weather phenomena and and earthquakes and that 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 was a period of time when there were a lot of uh, celestial things happening you know comets and just disease these guys were were you know they were settlers they they had these harsh winters and and it was really hard on a lot of the population so i think that it was a an era where people were ripe for looking for places to blame hmm. and the hysteria started with with a lot of uh people just that, yeah, they needed somebody to put it on. There, there, there had to be a cause because they saw themselves as righteous, God-fearing people. So how could it be their fault? It had to be something that was outside of them. And it, it, it is just interesting when you look at what was going on with those those trials and their attitude toward people. And it, it, it is a thing that I have a hard time not getting really angry at that it wasn't until like the very, very end of the trials. And, and the trials were, were going on for about a, about a year. When we think of the Salem Witch Trials, it was about mm-hmm. a year in, in the, um, 1692 that it, it, um, and it wasn't until probably the end of that year that they had set out a law saying that you could not use spectral evidence in the trials. Which, which, when you think about it, is really like, okay, yes, uh, you're, you're. What is what is spectral evidence? I... Well, it's it's like, uh, I I saw them. You know, I felt that they they were um, flying in the sky with the devil, mm-hmm. and there was no proof of this. Or, oh, I had an itch, and I felt, you know, and I was sure that it was was her, you know pricking me across the room or my cow got sick and I saw her passing by and she gave it a she gave it a nasty look I you know that kind of stuff that um that it was something that that there was no physical evidence there was no corroborative corroboration Mm -hmm. among people and they uh, they were able to have this be evidence at a trial and that people were being executed mm-hmm. for this this type of, of um, accusation, that there was no way that these people that were accused could, could have a defense because they were being accused of things that, that, that was so ephemeral. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting thought of of looking at how witches are are regarded as such evil things you even go to wizard of oz where where you know witches are these things with these 
these horrible hooked nose and and their green skin and their warts and and all of that to where we're we're looking at which is with a, a little bit different idea now that they're uh they're kind of sometimes being the good guys well even wizard of oz had the good witch well that's true yes you which did. was you know mind-blowing for me at the age of eight <laughs> um, oh yes and such a lovely dress such a lovely dress um yeah it seems like there's recently been a reclaiming Right. Oh, and a redefining. Redefining. And and also, um, like, all right, one of the main things that I want to recommend, of course, is practical magic. Mm-hmm. And it's not only, you know, can you see the wonderful movie, but you have Alice Hoffman's book series, and she, she takes the um, the family through several generations in, in her um, series of, of books based on, on practical magic, where she's looking at magic as not being the grand things in life, but the really small things. Mm-hmm. And, and I really like that attitude. I think that's a, a lovely way of, of looking at witches as, as not being these uh, dramatic spellcasters but they're small things mm-hmm. well that that uh i believe in england there's the hedge witch yes exactly very much that so that's your your it's interesting you, you managed to get in both a, a movie and a book recommendation there with practical magic and a series of books so that if oh, you, yeah. if you're enjoying the universe you get to uh hang around Oh, definitely, definitely. And another very, um, very cute um, movie would be um, one of Miyazaki's early, early um, animated films, Mm -hmm. which is called Kiki's Delivery Service. And that's another way of looking at witches. And and it's a children's animation, but I think it's so charming that it's also a fun thing for adults to watch as well about a little girl that who is a witch and and she does deliveries around this um very french kind of Mm -hmm. a town um on her broomstick on her broomstick yeah and and all of the things that are are happening with that it's just so charming i love it you know if we're on miyazaki uh, spirited away has a witch figure in it Oh, that's true. Very different kind of a Very witch. Very different. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But but that's that's going um, into the Japanese tradition. And when you go into the dra- Japanese tradition, that's a a whole different thing. They they do spooky in a way that can really go into the the highly creepy stuff. Yeah, yeah. There there are some there are some very creepy things and. It's a hard. I'd say me. I'd say that's a hard, spooky, spirited away. Yeah, yeah. So maybe not for the little kids, but not, not for. The, well, it, but it it does it, it it to me again. It is it's very. Uh, it's a charming look at a an invisible world to most of us. Yeah, and I I would certainly place it as one of my unreserved movie recommendations oh i love it yeah yeah, yeah. it's yeah. one of my favorite all-time movies and and just uh their worldview is so different from ours and, and what they 
what they see as as uh, things being um, inhabited with spirit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is just a, a real eye opener to me. And there's there's four or five sequences that uh, for anybody else would be an entire movie. Right, right. It definitely. is so full of ideas and images and amazing stuff and a, a great, um, great young protagonist. Mm-hmm. It, it's one of the most visually rich things I've, I think I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But Kiki's Delivery Service, um, same studio, uh, same style, uh, same level of delight. But very, it, it, it's very French. Oh, interesting. Well, the town, it's a very European town, which is so interesting to think that the Japanese filmmaker is mm-hmm. really embracing that kind of uh, European aesthetic, mm-hmm. whereas Spirited Away is very Japanese. Yeah, so Spirited Away, hard spooky, Kiki's Delivery Service is a light spooky. Um, what about Practical Magic? Does it stay in the spooky or does it get scary? I would say it stays in the spooky, but there is um, there is a bit about a uh, a rather abusive male hmm. toward one toward the women, and oh, so yeah. he is the uh, the evil mm-hmm. that they are having to overcome in their lives, and and so that might be a caveat for people if if they have a trigger about abusive relationships yeah yeah but the women win in the way in the end end. so yeah i would say also if you want to go beyond spooky and even beyond scary at times uh and still uh and and see the the classic bad witch uh the showtime series uh penny dreadful oh those witches are really creepy the second the second first season is about vampires the second season is about witches and it is a very interesting and at times legitimately scary and occasionally horrifying show. Um, Showtime says, uh, some of the literature's most terrifying characters, including Dr. Frankenstein and his monster, Dorian Gray and iconic figures from the novel Dracula are lurking in the darkest corners of Victorian London. They're joined by a core of original characters and a complex, frightening new narrative. Uh, Penny Dreadful, psychological thriller filled with dark mystery and suspense. Um, it's it's thoroughly enjoyable. And definitely uh, dark mystery and suspense. Certainly Frankenstein's monster's entrance <laughs> yeah. is yeah. bloody beyond belief. Um, but um, a real, you know, we, we, we haven't talked about, um, I have this theory of horror movies that there's horror movies that are made by people that don't like people. So they like to have the horror there to, to torture people. And there's horror movies that are made by people that love monsters. And, uh, and those are the ones that I gravitate to. And Penny Dreadful is definitely, uh, it likes monsters. And it also is, is using the monstrous as the metaphor yeah. for the outsider and, and, the, and the psychologically tortured. Um, so anyway... That's, yeah. and that's, and it definitely the season two is the the witches and it it gets into the creepy. Oh yeah, and it's uh, Helen McCrory. Yes, the late great. Oh yeah, and she is she's just oh it's pretty fun. Getting on to books, you have a recommendation that is just one of my favorite books ever. Oh yes, okay. 
Well, the the speaking of the late great uh, oh, Terry yeah. Pratchett, yeah. Uh, we free men, and then also a hat full of sky, and they are just, you know, a lot of times that gets billed with children's books, but it is, it is so fun. I just. Um, I, I don't think it's just for kids. You know, kids can't have all the fun stuff. Oh, it, it, well, it has a young protagonist, but it is in no way written no. down. No, no, there's nothing yeah. written down about that at all. And it's, uh, it's just a, a wonderful thing with, with how you, again, where you have witches that are dealing with the practical things in life. And and you know how how you deal with uh, your your sheep out on the out on the chalk in in the British countryside, mm-hmm. and how how the, when they're sick and and how you have your um, your sheep dogs that bring in the the animals and and it's it's a very grounded type of a, a witchcraft and. Uh, I don't know how much to not spoil it, but the the wee free men are these wonderful little um, blue. Would they be? They're not fairies. What are they? There's something along the lines of fairies or sprites or brownies, but they are their own unique thing. Oh yes, and they're hilarious. <laughs> they are hilarious. Yes, and. Uh, and you have to read them thinking in terms of a, a very heavy Scottish brogue. Yes. R- ridiculously heavy. Very ridiculous. If it's yeah, not they, authentic, so much the better. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, a fake Scottish brogue <laughs> comes off a lot better. And, um, and, and there's a couple of other books that are uh, a bit more in the children's area but are fun to read and 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 one of them is um eva ibbotson's witch witch and it's it's something that you could uh read with kids or you can just enjoy the the wonderful sarcastic uh humor to it of uh a a very good sweet witch who falls in love with a an evil sorcerer and joins a, a competition to to become his wife and the competition is how evil a spell can you cast and she's unable to cast evil spells. Oh. And 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 enlists some help from people in how to to try to bring out as evil a thing as her good heart can bring to win her man. <laughs> <laughs> And then, of course, also there's Diana Wynne Jones, who has her Crestomancy series. Uh, I think it begins with the Nine Lives of Christopher Kent, and he is a, a an enchanter who has nine lives. But it's it deals with a, a very interesting takes on witchcraft. Oh yeah, yeah, you were explaining that to me, and it it, uh, it, it very cool take. Yeah, very cool take of a a. a uh, multiple um universes yeah and that there's there's nine specific universes and you each person is uh in one of those nine you know each of those nine uh universes except for if you are a uh enchanter 
like he is, mm -hmm. all of your lives are centered in one universe. So that gives you these these unique powers. Mm -hmm. And and so that's that's a different take on witchcraft and an, an enchantment. Oh, that's fascinating. So, but now I'm I I know that you are a <laughs> I know that you are a a, um, a comics aficionado. I, I find them fascinating. Yes, I know. And and so, are there any good comics? You know. Because I, I know that, you know, comics are plenty about superheroes and comics are plenty about uh, things like werewolves and what have you. But what about witches? Are, are they covered in comics? I, I can't think of any good ones. You know, a thing, a thing I found out, speaking of werewolves, and I'm just going to mention this real fast. Um, by the way, uh, folks, if your ears pop, that's because this is going to be a deep dive. Um, is uh, the Comics Code Authority that was established in the early 50s when the comics saw the writing on the wall that, that all of a sudden there was this weird moral panic about comics and they were afraid the government was going to come in and censor them. So they came up with this code and they said, okay, we will all follow the code. There's, there's a, a group that will examine all our comics and make sure they'll have the code and a, a comic that's been approved will have the seal on it. One of the things in the comics code was no werewolves. Really? Yeah, I, I'm. I'm pretty sure. I, I if, if I'm wrong, folks, send us an email with that in the the mountains of email we receive. Oh what, well, what? you know, but also, I'm sorry to interrupt. Go but, ahead. Um, I know that uh, I used to look at some of my uncle's um, comics from like the 30s and 40s, and some of those things are really scary i mean they were outrageous things well that's that's what this was in kind of in response to it's similar to um the hayes office in movies where if you look at look at movies and sometimes talkies from the early 30s there's nudity and violence oh right and they okay. were they were starting to attract attention of, of government in terms of censorship so they established their laws and then, and when people say, "Oh, you can never, you would never do that on movies before," it's because, well, for a while it was it was actually self forbidden, and the same with comics, it was it was self forbidden. The reason I bring this up is one of the most interesting horror imprints within a comics publisher in the last couple of decades has been Archie Horror. Yes. What? 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 Yes. <laughs> Archie and Veronica and Archie Betty? Archie and Veronica, because um, it started, um, again, deep dive. They left the Comics Code in 2011. In fact, they were one of the last people to do so, them in DC. Marvel had left like 10 years earlier. And so when, when Archie and DC left the Comics Code, there, there really wasn't a Comics Code anymore. And now people just do what they want. But they established their own rating system. So comics can be rated uh, E for everybody, teen, teen plus, like PG-13, and then M. What is M for? Mature? Uh, mature. Okay. So anyway, um, they started with um, Afterlife with Archie. <laughs> oh, no. Where Jughead's dog is hit by a car. Jughead wants him back so bad. He gets brought back, but he gets brought back as a zombie. He bites Jughead. There's a zombie outbreak in their town and everybody 
you know, they have to leave and they're, and they're dealing with this, this zombie outbreak. Um, you've, you've probably seen on Netflix, the chilling adventures of Sabrina. Yes. You're right. You're right. So they had a, they did a whole expanded, um, universe for Sabrina now that they were free to have actual occult in their stuff. This is how it came up is I was looking for something and Sabrina kept popping up. Then there's Jughead the Hunger, where it turns out the reason Jughead is so, so hungry for hamburgers and whatnot all the time is he's actually from, uh, he's actually got lycanthropy. He's a, he's a werewolf, doesn't know it yet. <laughs> okay. Um, Vampironica. Oh, oh my gosh. Where, this is horrible. Where Veronica is bitten by a vampire, uh, becomes one, but then has to go defeat him to try to get rid of her powers. And there was even a crossover, Vampironica versus Jughead the Hunger. Okay, so... Are any of these things you're going to recommend? I would say, if you're curious, by all means, check them out. They, they, they might tickle you. Um, they're, they're T+. Um, I mean, there's, there's actual gore and, and violence in some of these. The reason I bring it up, <laughs> the one that I read and was really surprised by was Archie versus Predator 2. Two? Two. Is there a Archie versus Predator 1? All indications are I cannot find it. It's not even listed on the Archie Comics site. Whereas 2 you can find. 2 you can get out of Hoopla. And Archie's versus Predator 2 is this amazing meta story because what happens is Betty and Veronica come from the adventure of Archie versus Predator, where, by the way, evidently, um, Archie dies. So they're with the robot Archie that replaced him because, of course, there's a robot Archie. And in the course of this thing, as the, the Predator picks off every major recurring character, they realize that they're characters in a comic book. And that basically they've been recycling the same relationships all their life. And basically by the end of the book, they bust out. Oh, this is very meta. It's very meta. It's a, it was a, a very fascinating um, thing about, you know, because comics, they have their IP and they have to keep churning these things out. And like, like for instance, in Archie Horror... Archie Horror is a separate universe from regular Archie. And also, they're all separate universes from each other. They can do what they want, and they don't have to reset the, um, the universe. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Because you have like those major events at DC and Marvel where they have to destroy everything because it all becomes too unwieldy. So, any hoozles. I firmly enjoyed Archie versus Predator. Um, I've read Afterlife with Archie and it was darn amusing. I'm sure it's something you'd get more out of also if you had read Archie, which I hadn't. And, um, so I'm going to, I'm going to recommend that. Um, I want to mention really fast. I've recommended a lot of comics and what I found was funny is, is you kind of have to learn to read comics. Oh, definitely. That was a very big reading curve for me. Yeah. Because the thing, and there's a, there's a book out, Understanding Comics by Scott McCloud, and it's kind of famous in the genre. And he brings up the point that there's each panel, and then there's the action in the next panel. 
And what the reader does is you supply what happens in that gap. And sometimes the panel is literally an instant. It's a continuation of action. A character is punched and flies into the next panel. Sometimes it's a two-year gap. Sometimes a, a character enters a building and then the next panel is them in the hallway talking to somebody. So you, when you first start reading comics, you rip through them. They're so fast because you're reading the dialogue and the dialogue, there's not that much staring. You're done. And then you learn, oh, I got to go back. Like if you watch a little kid read a comic that they're studying each panel and they'll, sometimes they'll flip back and forth. That's actually what comics can give you that you actually construct this full movie and narrative with your imagination between the panels. So you're having to learn to read the pictures as well as reading the dialogue boxes. Right, right. And 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 I think also, we've talked about this, that um, there are times you really like the story and you don't like the art. Yeah. And there's times where you like the art and the story's dumb. Um, and so when, when it combines, um, that's when it's really cool. I, I know I've been, um, bucked off the horse from a few comics that I've looked at just because I can't stand the illustration style. Yeah. And that said, I don't read, um, I don't read superhero at all. I'm just not interested in it. There's that much stuff out there that I'm reading something every month that I find that is really interesting and usually through Hoopla. And it's not superhero. There, there's an amazing amount of things out there, including Archie versus Predator 2. <laughs> well, I think also that the things that you're reading are maybe more termed graphic novels than, than comics. Yeah. And that, that's, a weird, well, that's a weird term because I don't know what, what's the difference. Well, classically, comics come out weekly. And a comic, an issue, is one of those stapled together comics. And then usually the issue, there's going to be what's called a run, and it's going to be four to six to eight, usually six issues, is going to tell a single story. And, um, and then what happens is they'll take the story and they produce it in what's called a trade paperback or um, volume. And then sometimes they'll collect related volumes into anyway. So like, for instance, if you're on Hoopla, where you only get 10 checkouts a month, on the whole, try not to check out an issue. You want to check out a volume because the volume is going to have the entire story. Oh, that's a good thing to know. Yeah. So that's, that's the issue. And, and then the collections are usually uh, collections of trade paperbacks. So there's more about comics than I think you expected to learn um, coming into this podcast. But again, it's, a, it's an interesting source for interesting stories. Yes, that's good to know. Yeah. Oh, and we usually talk about, pod, usually talk about podcasts. Yes. And that... Um, so are, are there podcasts that would be good about witches? You know, I, I, was, I was looking, and I am sure there are, because there are literally millions of podcasts. Um, there were two that I was able to find, and interestingly enough, both of them from the BBC. There's a BBC uh, series called um, The Lovecraft Investigations. And what they did is they took several famous stories from H.P. Lovecraft and they created kind of um, an H.P. Lovecraft podcast universe. 
and they they found a way to have all these related. They took a character from the case of Charles Dexter Ward, and they've made him the big bad. And then also they've had the reporters that are reporting on these stories are ending up getting involved and affected by them. So there's three of them. There's case of Charles Dexter Ward. Um, I forget the second one. And then they do uh, Shadow Over Innsmouth. They're pretty interesting. It's a neat, it's meta without getting ridiculously meta. Oh, that's helpful. Yeah. So you always know where you are. And that's fun. Um, one that I, I would recommend, by the way, you know, we had our, our discussion of uh, the Salem Witch Trials, which you did a really, really interesting job of, of summarizing. If you want a, a deep dive on that, there is a podcast on the BBC called In Our Time. And they have a commentator and it's usually they pick a topic and it's him and um, usually like three professors. So they've, they've done things like like the Sturm und Drang movement in Germany, parasitology, uh, the Black Plague, uh, you know, modern issues, science issues, whatever. They did one on the Salem witch trials. Oh, that's great. And it's, it's really interesting because it's four very smart people talking about something and listening to each other. Oh, that's wonderful. And pulling off of each other's comments and, and building a really interesting story. It's usually like 45 minutes. Um, so in our time, the Salem Witch Trials is great. And in our time, just general. Oh, that's great to know. Well, also, if you want to have a book that mm. is a um, very small, quick summary of the Salem Witch Trials, um, I would recommend a thing called Witches, the Absolutely True Tale of Disaster in Salem. And that's um, by Rosalind Shanzer. And it's uh, published by National Geographic. And it has wonderful, wonderful... Um, illustrations black white and red illustrations that i just love oh fascinating okay well now we'll have a, a link to that in uh, the show notes and, and links to everything we've recommended in the show notes and speaking of next week halloween for kids halloween for kids it's the it's the final week of the month we're getting geared up for the actual trick-or-treating and uh, we have, we're going to have the recommendations of the Halloween for Kids, which is secretly um, also a lot of the stuff that, that we enjoy the most. Oh, yes. Um, I, I, personally, I think some of the best writing out there is being done for kids, if you, if you know where to look. Well, and, and certainly the things for children have more of a sense of fun than a lot of the things for adults. Yes. Sadly. Sadly. And, um, I mean, and, lucky for kids, but poor us. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was it. Um, anything to say to everyone before we sign off? Just goodbye and thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you soon next week with Halloween is for Kids. Bye. <laughs>